Let's turn to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to begin by reading in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 55. It's printed in your bulletin. There are some Bibles on the back table, if you would prefer, if you didn't have your own. Uh, So we're going to read, starting in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, From henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time of year when we can remember, uh, especially your son coming into the world, taking on flesh. We can remember the incarnation. And Father, thank you for these four songs. Uh, at the beginning of Luke's gospel, that help us understand the incarnation. 
Father, I pray that you'd be with us this morning as we study this text together. I pray that you would uh, help me speak with clarity, help us all to uh, understand what your word has for us. And I pray that um, you would use this, uh, this time that we have together to uh, help us all to treasure Christ more and understand uh, what this Christmas season means a little bit better. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're beginning our Advent series today. Advent is a word that means coming or arrival. We live between Christ's two Advents, his first coming when he came as a baby, and then his second coming when he will return in glory. Throughout church history, the Christian church has used the season, what they call the season of Advent, to remember uh, especially it's a time of year set aside when we can remember and learn about the incarnation, Jesus taking on flesh and coming as a baby. Luke's gospel is special in that the gospel begins with a, a narrative account of Jesus' birth, and in that narrative account we find four songs. Um, you can think of them almost as New Testament psalms. Uh, they're early hymns, but these four songs have different names that they've traditionally been called. The first one we encounter is Mary's song, and that's what we'll be talking about this morning. That's traditionally called the Magnificat. Magnificat is the Latin word for magnifies, which is one of the first words in the, uh, in the song. The, the song formally starts in verse 46, where Mary says, My soul doth magnify the Lord. So it's called the Magnificat. Uh, next week we'll talk about Zechariah's song, which is called the Benedictus. Uh, and then the week after that, we'll learn about the angel song, which is, again, traditionally called the Gloria in Excelsis. And then finally, uh, we'll hear about Simeon's song, which is traditionally called the Nunc Dimittis. But we're going to look at Mary's song this morning. But in order to really understand the song, I want us to walk through the narrative together. I want us to learn something about the events that led up to this song. And then I want to us to look at the texts in the Old Testament that give this song and the events uh, meaning. I want to look at Mary herself uh, and observe some things about her reaction. I think through this study, through the next uh, however 30 to 40 minutes that we'll be talking, I think we'll see that the birth of Jesus um, from beginning to end in the Bible and in history is the most significant event we can talk about. It's, it is the fulcrum um, that, that divides the world. Uh, even our, our, our timekeeping is, is uh, B.C., before Christ, or A.D., Anna Domini, the, the year of the Lord. But this birth, this incarnation, is the most significant event um, in world history. I think we'll learn that. I think we'll see that. I think we're also going to learn some things about how we can approach Christmas, how we can approach Christ's incarnation like Mary did, uh, which is in humble submission to God's word. So let's dig into the, the, the narrative here. Let's start in verse 26. Uh, we're told that an angel named Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth was a very small town. Uh, estimates are in the first century it was maybe two to 400 people. This is a small backwoods country town. And, and Gabriel sent with this message to a virgin named Mary. Um, we don't know a lot about Mary. We know she's, she's engaged, it says espoused or engaged to a man named Joseph, who is of the house of David. Um, but she's, she's confronted with this very strange greeting. Uh, Gabriel says here in verse uh, 28, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. That's a very strange greeting. And Mary is, Mary is troubled. Verse 29 says, 
uh, when Mary, uh, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. I don't know about you, but I've always, in my mind, when I think about this, this event, uh, I go back to Sunday school books, and I see Mary um, in some sort of a little room uh, doing some sort of a task, and I see a bright, glowing angel with, with wings uh, sort of appearing there. And that's generally what I've seen depicted in movies and, and TV shows. But, I, but if you look and, and slow down and carefully look at the text, it's very interesting what it says. Verse 29 says, When she saw him, she was troubled, not at his appearance, but at his saying. Um, she was troubled at his saying. This, and, and this isn't hard to figure out why. There's, there's not a deep theological reason as to why she was troubled. If someone were to approach you out of the blue and say, uh, Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. That's a strange thing. Uh, and so she was troubled. But just, just as you can almost imagine her, her, her turning away from this, this stranger, uh, you know, as if to run, uh, what does is, what is Gabriel say in verse 30? He says, fear not, Mary. Well, imagine that. Imagine if you'd, if you'd been confronted with this stranger, this person you didn't know, who said something very odd, this, this strange greeting, talking about how the Lord favors you. Uh, and then he uses your name. Well, now that Gabriel's got her attention, uh, he delivers the message that God sent him to deliver. He says, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. You know, sometimes this, this dramatic language can be easy to gloss over. Um, there's a lot of things here. We might read it, depending on which, what version or what edition of the Bible you have. You might see some, some notes or some cross-references, and you think, okay, there's a lot going on here. There's, th- this angel's message must mean something. But it, it can be easy to gloss over, at least for me, because it, it, it is poetic. It is dramatic language. Uh, but let's slow down and, and look at some things that the angel says. What does he say that this son will be? It says he'll be called the son of the highest, says, the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. So there's a royal aspect to this pronouncement. And then it says, he'll reign over the house of Jacob, Israel, forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. There shall be no end. This is very strange. Um, but how do we see this backwoods Jewish girl respond to this, this pronouncement? What does she say? Uh, Verse 34, she said, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be? How shall this be? She doesn't say, uh, How will I know this is to be true? Uh, She doesn't say, uh, uh, How do I know this will actually happen? She says, How shall this happen? Some translations have it, How will this happen? See, Mary's response to the word of the Lord from the angel is belief. She believes. Now, she has a question, no doubt. Um, that's, that's the very first thing that, that uh, she does here. She asks this question. She says, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She's inquisitive about how this will happen, but she believes it will, in fact, happen. Um, and, you know, sometimes I think we, or at least I, uh, are under the impression that questions come from a place of doubt. Uh, but that's not the biblical, that's not, that's not what the Bible says. Um, in fact, if you study how people encounter God throughout the Bible, you'll find that it's often accompanied with questions. Uh, These questions don't have to come from a place of doubt. Uh, They come from a place of faith. 
So when you have questions, ask. It's okay to ask hard questions of the text. Um, ask in reading, ask in prayer, uh, ask other believers, but ask as Mary did in faith. James 1.6, uh, ask in faith, nothing wavering. Uh, so Gabriel answers. Gabriel answers her question and explains how this will be. Um, she has not known a man. She's not had physical relations with a man. So how will this be? Uh, verse 35, Gabriel says, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. This is the conception by the Holy Ghost. It's something that Christians have confessed since the earliest days because of this teaching. Uh, Mary, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Ghost. It's in the Apostles' Creed, one of the earliest known st statements. that We read our statement of faith. The Apostles' Creed is one of the earliest uh, statements of faith. Um, Gabriel explains. He answers Mary's honest question. But then he delivers another shocking piece of news. Verse 36. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. We'll probably learn more about this next week, but I'll give you a brief background. Elizabeth was Mary's cousin. She's the mother of John the Baptist. Uh, and she also had a miraculous uh, child because she was old and she had been barren her whole life. She's unable to have children her whole life. Um, but, but Mary, who certainly knows this about her cousin, I would have been very surprised to hear this from the angel, um, this, this, her, that her cousin, and, and I, I want us to slow down a little bit. We, we have a lot of ground to cover today, but, but Elizabeth says, uh, Behold thy cousin Elizabeth, it says this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Imagine how difficult that would have been for Elizabeth. Elizabeth the barren. To be defined by uh, this, this situation that she had, Elizabeth, in, in earlier in chapter 1, she calls her inability to have children her reproach. She refers to it as my reproach. She was certainly the family member that everyone knew could not have children. And so when Mary hears that Elizabeth is with child, this would have been very shocking news. But after all this, the strange greeting, this royal proclamation about the throne of David, the promise of the virgin birth uh, as to Mary, and then this news of Elizabeth, how does Mary respond? Verse 38, And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. She received the word of the angel as the word of God, and she submitted herself to it. If there's one character trait of Mary's that shines through in this passage, it's that she submits herself to God's word. Uh, Elizabeth will say later in verse 45, blessed is she that believed. Mary believed. That's, that's the, the character trait that I think that shines through most clearly um, of Mary's, that she believed. She was not a doubting uh, woman. She believed. So let's, let's skip forward to uh, her visit with Elizabeth. It says she arose with haste um, and, and went to the hill country of Judah, uh, into a city of Judah. Imagine 
as she's approaching Elizabeth's home there in the hill country. Again, she's heard these words from the angel, and we're told that she did believe. She believed. Um, but imagine as she approaches, she greets Elizabeth, and Elizabeth turns, and then she sees with her eyes what she'd already believed in her heart, that Elizabeth, I mean, she's sick. if she's sick with six months pregnant, then this is an obvious thing. Um, imagine her faith becoming sight and how that would have confirmed her faith. Uh, and then think about this. What, what does Elizabeth do? Elizabeth turns around and says she was filled with the Holy Ghost. And in verse 42, uh, she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So again, put yourself in Mary's spot. You've gone to the hill country. You've seen your cousin who is old and everyone knew was, was the barren one in the family. And she's clearly with child. So the, the thing that you believed, you're, it's becoming sight. And then, think about this, Mary was given the word from the angel, and then she went into the hill country with haste. She didn't delay. The, the, the hill country is, is a broad region, but it's thought that from Nazareth to somewhere in the hill country is around 80 to 100 miles. Maybe, say it took her a, a week to pack and a week to travel. Uh, which you could easily do, then she's there a couple weeks after she's conceived by the Holy Ghost, not something that is visible to someone uh, who's looking at Mary. But, but Elizabeth turns and says, blessed is the fruit of your womb. How is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth, moved by the Holy Ghost, confirms Mary's pregnancy, not, not with her eyes, but, but by the Holy Ghost. Think how that would have confirmed to Mary what the angel had said. She's not visibly expecting uh, but, but Elizabeth confirms that to her. So this visit uh, would have greatly confirmed Mary's faith. So now we've gotten to a point where we understand a little bit of the background and we can maybe imagine some of the emotions that Mary would have had at this point in the story. And now we're at verse 46. Verse 46 says, And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. This is the beginning of this spontaneous song, this outpouring. Mary has all these different emotions welling up inside her. It's both her soul and her spirit. It says, my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. My soul doth magnify the Lord. Uh, earlier she'd said, uh, behold the handmaid of the Lord. Th this is something that, that Mary is uh, responding to, this, this message of the angel, the, the message um, that she's receiving by the Holy Ghost from Elizabeth, she's responding with her whole being, body, soul, and spirit. But the song starts from verses 46 to verse 49 with a, a section where Mary describes herself and her response to what the angels said. Uh, and then the, the, kind of the second half of the song from verse 50 down to the end, uh, is, is, it has a broader view, and we'll talk about that in a second. But, but from verses uh, 46 to 49, Mary is describing uh, herself and her response. And I think we can observe a few things that she says um, that we can examine in our own lives. First off, th this idea of magnification. It says, my soul doth magnify the Lord. What does that mean? What does it mean to magnify the Lord? Well, we can think of it in a couple of different ways. You can think of magnification in the context of uh, a magnifying glass or a, t a microscope. And that's where you take something small uh, and you make it bigger. And that doesn't fit too well because God isn't small. 
Um, so then maybe we think of a telescope. See, a telescope, uh, we can look through it and we can bring something that is far and massive closer. Uh, Mars looks like a little red dot in the sky, but if you put a telescope on it, you can see some of the hills and the valleys that, that dot its landscape. And in a way, when the world looks through us as believers, uh, we bring God into view. But that illustration falls apart a little bit because in Acts 17, the Apostle Paul says, uh, He is not far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being. God's not far. So the telescope analogy falls down a little bit. As I think of it, I think the way that we can magnify God most is to act as a window into heaven, a window into the unseen. Uh, and, and what does that mean? Uh, well, it means that when people look at us and look through us, they can see uh, a little bit of the unseen reality. Maybe they can glimpse God as he is for the first time. And Mary certainly does that. If we are cracked and cloudy lenses through which people can see God, imagine Mary. Christ, the author of the Hebrews tells us, is the image of God, the express image of God. And it was through Mary that the express image of God came into the world. So if, if we can be windows into heaven, if we can be these, these uh, images that God has created, he's created us in his image, and if, if, if people can see a little bit of God through us, uh, Mary brought the express image of God into the world uh, in the baby Jesus. She magnifies the Lord. But, but also I want to just to examine her humility. What has she already called herself in verse 38? She said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord. I'm the servant of the Lord. Uh, some translations have the slave of the Lord because the word here is literally translated slave. Uh, she sees herself as a slave. She sees herself uh, in her what she calls her low estate. Uh, she's humble. She realizes that this is not an honor that she deserves. This is an honor that God has bestowed upon her. She does not deserve blessing. She has been blessed. Uh, Mary wasn't writing uh, a treatise on psychology, so I don't want to make too much of the, the term soul and spirit, but, but at the very least we can see that, that our whole being is submitted to and worshiping God, uh, both her soul and her spirit. Mary, like all human beings, needed a Savior. She says, my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. Uh, Mary is a humble person. She approaches Christmas. She approaches the incarnation. Incarnation, what does that mean? Uh, uh, you think of uh, a carnivore, carnivore, okay, that, the, the word, the, the root word there is the same. It's flesh. Uh, carnivore eats flesh. Incarnation is when God took on flesh. He took on a fleshly form. Uh, and and this, is, this is what she approaches. She approaches this incarnation, the idea of God becoming flesh in great humility. And that's how we should approach. Um, we can magnify God like Mary did. We can do that by being humble like she was. And, and I think we see her humility most clearly um, in this next, next aspect. So I want to look at the word blessed. Mary is called blessed four times in this passage. It's one of the words that keeps coming up. Um, the angel calls her blessed in verse 28. Elizabeth calls her blessed twice. And then Mary calls herself blessed here. She says, um, she says here, from henceforth, verse 48, from henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. 
Now, because of false teachings that some of us have heard or been exposed to uh, from churches like the Roman Catholic Church, there can be an overreaction um, on, the, on the part of the Protestant Church. And, and we might not talk about or think about or meditate on what God did through Mary uh, as much as we ought to. Because what does the word say? The word says she was blessed among women. Out of all the women on the earth, out of all the women in history, God chose Mary to bestow special blessing on. Being Protestant is not equal to being as non-Roman Catholic as we possibly can be. Uh, we submit ourselves to the word. Our guiding principle is sola scriptura, that, that the scriptures are the only, uh, they're the sole authoritative rule for faith and practice. And when the scripture says that all generations will call her blessed, that includes our generation. Here's something to consider. Elizabeth says, uh, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, verse 42. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Jesus is the fruit of Mary's womb. Jesus has two natures. He is one person, but he has two natures. He has a truly divine nature. He's truly God. And he has a truly human nature. He's truly man. His truly divine nature comes from the Father. His truly human nature comes from Mary. What does that mean? Well, at the most basic level, I think it means Jesus looked a lot like Mary. Have you ever thought about that? Like, I have children, and they look a little bit like me, a little bit like Megan, but, uh, but Jesus didn't have a human father. He had a human mother. Jesus probably looks just like Mary. They probably have the same smile, the same laugh, maybe the same eyes. And at the risk of sounding sentimental, consider this. Mary's face was probably the first thing that his human eyes saw. Uh, Mary's voice, probably the first sound that entered his human ears. Uh, her heartbeat uh, actually probably would have been the first sound his, his ears heard in the womb. The warmth of her touch in the cold stable, the first touch his skin felt. God blessed his servant, Mary, and gave her one of the most important tasks given to any person, man or woman, in human history. But why was Mary blessed? She was blessed. This is the blessing that she got to participate in this way. But why was she blessed? And you know that Jesus answers this question, why was Mary blessed? Because it came up during one of his teachings uh, in Luke 11. Luke chapter 11, verses 27 and 28 says this, uh, and it came to pass, as he spake these things, he's teaching, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee. This woman says, Blessed is the womb that bare thee. She sees Jesus is the Son of God, and she says, Well, well the, the womb that bore you must have been blessed. And he says, in verse 28, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. See, Jesus doesn't say, no, 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 Mary wasn't blessed. You know, he doesn't say that. He says, yay, she was blessed, but he, he redirects this woman's attention from Mary to, to the word. He says, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Mary was blessed because she heard the word of God and she kept it. She heard the word of God from the angel and she kept it. And as we're going to see uh, right now, she heard the word of God in the Old Testament and she kept it and she understood it. And this leads to the second portion of Mary's song, starting in verse 50. 
we're going to be moving a little bit here um, throughout the Bible. I jokingly, I think Rob thought I was kidding when I said my text this morning is Genesis to Revelation, but that's what's going to happen. <laughs> um, so the second, the second half of the song deals with much broader topics. It's, it's how God has dealt with people in, in human history. I think it's at this point we, we can ask with the, the famous song, Mary, did you know? What did Mary know? Uh, we have the benefit of sitting here and cross-referencing our Bible, and we can look at commentaries and, and different things, and we can draw all kinds of, of conclusions about, uh, about what we think the angel's words mean. But what did Mary know? Could she, could she do that? Did she have that luxury? What did she know? How did she interpret? We're told that she believed, but what exactly did she believe? What is it that she believed? And we're going to look at some of these Old Testament prophecies and teachings to see what exactly it was that she believed. Let's turn to Genesis 3.11. Genesis 3.11. We're going to begin in the, the Garden of Eden. God created man in a state of innocence. <clears throat> He made a covenant with man. He said, obey and live. That's the covenant. The terms of the covenant are obey and live. Genesis 3, verse 11, and I'm going to start in the middle of the verse. It says, hast thou eaten of the tree, this is God speaking, hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Ah, the serpent. The serpent who entered the garden and questioned God's words. Hast God said? R.C. Sproul says, Genesis 3.14, the next verse, could have read, uh, And God destroyed the heavens and the earth. But he doesn't. He shows mercy. If we, Mary's song is, is bookended with these, with these terms of mercy. Uh, in verse uh, 50 and 54, it talks about God's mercy. That's how he deals with people. It's how he started dealing with people here. Because instead of destroying the heavens of the earth, after they broke the covenant with God, what does God do? Let's read verses 14 and 15. He curses the serpent first. He says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So God promises something. Instead of destroying the earth, he makes a new covenant, or he promises a new covenant. And he doesn't give all the details here. This is just a whisper. It's a hint of this new covenant. God promises a seed, but not a seed of Adam. It says the seed of the woman, her seed. God promises that this seed will come somewhere from humanity and will, will bruise this serpent, or you might say this dragon. The dragon, the serpent, will strike the seed in his heel. He'll bruise his heel, but the seed will deliver a fatal blow to the head of the serpent. And so begins the search. I think you can rightly read the rest of the Bible as a search for the seed. Who will the seed be? Where will he come from? Well, let's, let's jump ahead to Genesis 11. Actually, turn to Genesis 12. I'll summarize what's in here, 11 here for you. Humanity is united. 
It's grown considerably since Adam and Eve, but it's united. All people are of one language, and they decide to live independently of God and to build a tower to heaven. They don't need God to have access to heaven. They're going to build a tower and climb to heaven themselves. Um, so what does God do? It's the Tower of Babel, a story we're familiar with. God confuses their languages and scatters them. What, is, what does Mary say in her song? Verse 51, he hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. This is what God does to pride. He scatters it. But this story presents a problem for the promise of the seed. It was easy to know that, well, humanity, okay, the seed is going to come from humanity, but now which of the shattered fragments of humanity is it going to come from? So the very next chapter, God answers that. He shatters humanity in one chapter, but then he promises that he's going to bring it back together again in the next chapter. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And if we didn't get it, if we didn't get that the seed was going to come from Abraham's family, this is going to be the family where all the people of the earth are blessed. Uh, he makes it very clear in Genesis 3.15 where he says that the promise is to you and to your seed forever. So we've got this search for the seed that we're on. Uh, we're going to skip ahead. Again, we're, we're surveying so much of this. We're going to skip ahead to, let's turn to Galatians 3 because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a New Testament explanation of what happens here. We're skipping to Mount Sinai. This is 400 years later. Abraham's family had moved to Egypt after Abraham's death. They'd moved into Egypt to escape famine, um, but they remained distinct within the land of Egypt because the Egyptians, to put it simply, hated them. Uh, they, they, were, they were made slaves. The Egyptians hated the Israelites. They were a distinct entity. Well, God, as many of us know in the story of the Exodus, he uses his servant Moses to lead this lowly man, to, to lead the, the Israelites out of Egypt, which is wonderful, but presents a problem for the promise of the seed. Because if the Israelites are now out in the sea of nations, they're no longer just a hated minority in Egypt, but they're a sea of nation, out in the sea of nations. What is going to prevent them from getting diluted by the nations? What is going to prevent them from just getting lost in the sea of nations? Um, and then we won't know where the seed is coming from. We won't know the, where the, from from uh, which family in the earth this seed will arise. And so what happens? Well, on Mount Sinai, God gives his people a law. The Israelites couldn't worship the way the other nations worshiped. They couldn't touch what the other nations touched. They couldn't eat what the other nations ate. Uh, and have you ever read through your Old Testament, maybe early in a Bible reading plan, <laughs> and, and you read through some of these laws, these purity laws and these ceremonial cleanliness laws and wondered why do these exist? Well, if you think about it, these laws make it next to impossible for the Israelites to live with anyone else. They have to live on their own. They're a wholly set-apart people to God. They can't blend with the other nations. Um, and if you think maybe that's a stretch, let's see what the Apostle Paul says. In, in Galatians 3, chapter, verse 19, we're interrupting him here in the middle of of his discussion of the purpose of the law. He said the law can't save. And so in verse 19 he says, Wherefore then serveth the law? Some translations say, what's the purpose of the law? If it doesn't save us, what's the purpose of it? Verse 19 says, it says, It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come 
to whom the promise was made. It was given until the seed should come. The law was given to make Israel a distinct people so that we'd be able to identify where this seed would come from. Now we're skipping again to Psalm 89, to the next and really the most significant expansion of this promise. This is what they call, what theologians call the Davidic covenant. It's a promise to David. David, this lowly shepherd, what does is, what is Mary say in her song? Uh, she says, uh, he's, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, he has looked on her in her low estate. He lifts the lowly up. He exalts the lowly. Well, David was a lowly shepherd. He's now sitting on the throne of Abraham's family. He's sitting on the throne of Israel. And God has promised David that the seed will come from his line. So we go from humanity down to Abraham's family, down to David's line in Abraham's family. We're getting closer and closer to knowing exactly where the seed is coming from. Psalm 89 is a place summarizing this covenant, um, and we're going to read from verses 34 to 37. God says, My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven. Isaiah, the prophet, weaves all of these prophecies together, these promises of the seed in chapter 9 of his prophecy. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 2, 6, and 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice, from henceforth even for forever. Do you hear what the angel promised to Mary? The son would sit on the throne of David forever? Well, now we come back to Mary. What was it exactly that Mary knew? Mary, did you know? <laughs> what was it exactly that Mary knew when she heard that her son would, would be given the throne of his father David and would reign over the house of Jacob forever? Well, this song shows two things, this portion of the song, this second half of the song. It shows, one, that Mary understands how God deals with mankind. She understands how he has always dealt with mankind. In mercy, verse 50, his mercy is on them that fear him. That's the ancient promise of God. And then verse, it, it, it ends in mercy. In verse 54, in remembrance of his mercy, she understands God deals with people mercifully. But she also understands how he deals with human pride. If you come to God in your pride, he will resist you. If you come to God in humility, he will give you grace. If you come to God with your might, you will be cast down. If you come to him recognizing that you are weak, he'll make his strength perfect in you. If you come to him with your riches, he will send you away empty. If you come to him in your poverty, he will fill you with his riches. We don't 
come to God on our own terms. We come to God on his terms, and his terms are this. He is God, and we are not. We are sinners and stand condemned. Only faith in the man born of the Virgin Mary will save us. Only faith in the Son of God who took on flesh in the incarnation, died for our sins on the cross, and rose again the third day will save us. We can't come to God expecting to negotiate. We're not equals. To God, our riches are nothing. Our power is nothing. Our titles are nothing. Our status is nothing. On the last day, all of that will be gone. It's wood, hay, and stubble. The money, the, the, the power, the influence, it's, it's gone. It'll be burned away and you'll stand naked before God and you will not be an equal. We don't come to him in pride, might, and riches. Those who do will be turned away. But those who come to him, recognizing their lowest state, their poverty, and their weakness, because all of us, in comparison to God, are low and poor and weak, even the strongest of us and the richest. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And that's what you'll find if you come to Christ in your poverty, in your weakness, in your hunger. What does Jesus say? Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? Because they will be filled. That's the Savior you will find. But more than understanding how God deals with mankind generally, this song shows that Mary understood specifically who her son was in light of the prophecies that we discussed. <clears throat> Verse 55 says, As he spake to our fathers, well, let's start in 54. He hath hope and he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. To Abraham? Why does she mention Abraham when Gabriel didn't mention anything about Abraham? Gabriel talked about David. Well, she mentions Abraham because she understands this line of prophecy David was the capstone. Mary has heard the word of God from the angel, and she believed it. She's heard the word of God in the Old Testament, and she believed it. That's why she's blessed. She understands her son will be the seed of the woman who would kill the dragon. Her son will be the seed of Abraham who will bless the nations. Her son will be the seed of David who will sit on an eternal throne. She knows all this. Mary, did you know? She knows this because she heard the word of God, and she believed it. She approached the incarnation in humble submission to God's word. The rest of the New Testament explains how Jesus fulfills the promises to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. At the very beginning of the Bible, God promised this seed who would come and make things right, things that humans broken. Uh, and at the very end, in Revelation Chapter 12, the Apostle John, in apocalyptic language, explains the fulfillment of this promise. The seed who would come and crush the head of the serpent, the head of the dragon. Revelation 12, verse 1, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars, and she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour the child as soon as it was born. 
and she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God into his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Did Mary understand everything? (laughs) Did, did Did she understand everything that was going to come? Did she see the cross? Did she see the cross? I don't know. She would soon enough. But for now... It was enough for her to know that this baby who was going to come was the fulfillment of everything. From beginning to the end that wasn't even written yet, he was coming to fulfill it. He was going to be the seed who would crush the dragon. He would be the seed of Abraham through whom all the nations would be blessed. He was going to be the seed of David who would sit on the eternal throne. He was here, the holy seed, and that's what Mary knew. I want to close by reading the words of a hymn that we're going to sing in a moment. A familiar hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hope of all the years, was born in Bethlehem that night. May we approach this Christmas like Mary in humble submission to God's word. Let us interpret the incarnation and Christmas through his word. May we believe it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your servant Mary and the example that that you gave us in her of humility, submission to your word. Father, I pray that we would each have the blessing of, of, uh, that Mary had, the blessing that uh, comes from being one who hears the word of God and keeps it. Father, I pray that you would uh, use this Christmas season to uh, help us learn more and more about your son. I pray that you'd bless the rest of our Advent series as we, as we study these songs, these psalms in the New Testament that uh, teach us the significance of of Jesus coming into the world. Thank you for sending him. Thank you for showing mercy on us. Father, I pray that each and every one of us would approach your throne in humility uh, and find you to be an all-satisfying Savior. In Christ's name I pray, amen.